You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Well, have you noticed that it can be difficult to find courage that's actually reliable? People try to well up courage from all over the place, but to find courage that is actually reliable in your life and my life is not as easy as it might seem. I mean, courage that's constant, courage that is unchanging, that's always available. Perhaps for some of you over the course of this year, you have just felt attacked or you felt under assault by fears or anxiety. Maybe you've been overwhelmed by the amount of decisions you've had to make. You've been blindsided by sickness. Maybe you have been the victim of road rage or of a toilet paper shortage or of looting. And maybe you found yourself engaged in conflict over politics or over economics or always in conflict in relationships or maybe the big one, conflict over religion. Well, what gives you courage when you face anxiety and fear? Some people would rely on liquid courage, but that often leaves regrets and doesn't really fix any of the problems that you're hoping to fix. Others rely on courage memes or famous quotes for inspiration like this one. When Nelson Mandela said, courage is not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. The brave man is not he who does not feel afraid, but he who conquers that fear. Well, that is inspiring. But every person and and oftentimes every man will think of a time when they wanted to be courageous. They sure hoped to be courageous. They couldn't find fear. And in fact, that inspiration didn't help. Where can the man who's sometimes been a coward find courage when it comes to anxiety, when it comes to fear? Where can the woman reach for a a constant source of courage? Because you've got to have more than inspiration. You must have some source, some deep values to conquer the fear that you're inevitably going to feel. And for many, many believers... Courage is found time and again in the unshakable word of God. See, believers not only find it helpful, but we find it essential to wading through fears and anxiety and worries and attacks. Paul was following the will of God as we've been following him through the book of Acts. As he is proclaiming the good news of Jesus, he's been following the will of God as he was giving his future the test of time. He was giving his future the test of scripture and he was giving his future the test of peace. And at the right moment, God told him this. In Acts 23, in this week we've read Acts 23 and Acts 24. This sermon will be on both. But in Acts 23, God tells Paul, it says in verse 11, the following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Well, yes, why is this important? I mean, obviously, it's very nice that God shows up and says, take courage, like get courage. But it's really nice for Paul because he realizes he won't die or he won't be killed before he is testified in Rome. See, in Jerusalem, only the day before, the high priest ordered the other religious leaders standing near Paul to strike him in the mouth. So in his mind, he's going, these are the people who charged and crucified Jesus, the same type of people. So things can be questionable in his mind in regard to his future. But the message from God 
gave Paul courage that he would need for the days ahead. Now, certain Jews had conspired to assassinate Paul. Several of them had sworn to fast from food and water until they had killed Paul. But they were no match as we read Acts 23 for God's protection. God exposed the plot through a child and the commander at Jerusalem sent Paul to Caesarea, so from the the mountainous area down toward the coast with a guard of 470 military men so that he could be tried before Felix, the governor. Acts 24 records Paul's trial before Felix. Here we see the courage God gave Paul, which was based on the Bible. And we can see the effect that the gospel ends up having on the governor. And here's why you need this sermon. Courage is found in God's word and founded on God's word. You want real courage in your life? Courage is gonna be found in God's word and founded upon God's word. If you're taking notes today, write this down. God's word, the source of courage. In the movie that came out this year, there's a movie called Greyhound that came out through Apple TV. And in that movie that's starred by Tom Hanks, and he stars as Captain Ernest Krause. And for the first time, he's in charge of a destroyer ship. His mission as a captain is to guide and protect a convoy of hundreds of allied ships as they cross the Atlantic, bringing supplies for the war effort to England, bringing troops for the war effort to England. But in the middle of the ocean, there is a section known as the Black Pit. This is the area where at that time, with the technology that they had, airplanes couldn't fly from America to England. That They had to, to only get out as far as they could, especially heavier aircraft that would provide air support for them against things like submarines or U-boats. And so there was a place in the ocean where the American, air, uh, the American pilots would fly out, but they had to turn back because that's all the gas they had and they had to go back. And then the British pilots would fly out from Britain and they would only get to a certain point. But between those two points was the black pit. Days, hours, terrifying moments where the Germans knew there would be no air cover and they would begin to hunt the ships and stop the war effort on the Atlantic seas. That's when a wolf pack of German U-boats starts hunting the convoy. And it's up to Tom Hanks, who plays the person of Krauss in the movie, to find a way to destroy some, to outmaneuver the rest, and keep as many ships as possible and people safe. Some were lost. But because of the courage of this man and his proficiency in the war effort, that he was able to survive every hour, every moment of those very, very difficult days. Posted on his mirror was this verse, Hebrews 13, verse eight. It says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And as the captain gets ready for his day before they enter the black pit, he kneels at his bedside and he prays, Dear Lord, let your holy angels be with me that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. And at the end of several perilous days, having made it through the black pit, he says, I thank you, my heavenly father, that you have graciously kept me this day. Into your hands I commend myself my body and my soul. 
Amen. You see, for him, in this real life account, God's word was the source of courage and it was sufficient to get him through the day, get him through the season, and ultimately get him through the war. Similarly, Paul is facing trial now before Governor Felix. The Jewish leaders have made false charges against him and Paul begins to speak his defense. We see it in Acts chapter 24, beginning with verse 14. And it says this, however... I admit that I worship the God of our ancestors as a follower of the way, which they call a sect. I believe everything that's in accordance with the law that is written in the prophets. And I have the same hope in God that these men themselves have, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. So I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. We ask the question, well, what, you read the New Testament, you go, what, what is the law and prophets? Like, is that some other writing? What is that? The law and the prophets, what are those? Well, when they would talk about the law and prophets, they're talking about the Bible. In this case, the entire Old Testament, which was the Bible available to most people at that time. The law and the prophets were the Old Testament of our Bible. Now, Jesus said something very interesting in Matthew chapter five. And during Jesus's life, he said this, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And so Jesus himself, his agenda, his mission on earth was to fulfill the Old Testament law, to fulfill the prophets. And Paul affirms that as well when he writes in Romans chapter three, verse 21. He says, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known which the, to which the law and prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So again, Paul is affirming that the law and the prophets, that Jesus has fulfilled them. And not only that, that the righteousness Jesus accomplished by fulfilling the law and prophets that no other human being could do is now available to all, both Jew and Gentile, as a way that they can be saved from their sin. I love that God's word testifies to itself. It maintains accuracy in spite of those who question it and it is reliable. And I often wonder what kept those Jewish leaders who had seen Jesus, those Jewish leaders who had heard about Jesus, what kept them from seeing that Jesus in fact was the Messiah? And time and again, it comes back to be very simple. It was their pride their pride, they refused to see and believe what the law and the prophets had said so accurately. They refused to see and believe that Jesus had fulfilled prophecy. Over 400 Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah were fulfilled in the life and in the words of Jesus Christ from the Old Testament showing that he was the Messiah. The statistics of any one life fulfilling over 400 prophecies is staggering. And yet they refuse to see it because of their pride. 
Jesus fulfilled the law, something no person can do, and he redeemed those who would believe in him and receive him as their Lord. Now, these Jews refused. They refused to believe or to receive Jesus, and instead, they killed him. But Jesus rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, and for the past 20 years, these Jews had tried to kill off the transformation of new life through Jesus by those who received him, by those who believed in him, whether they were Jew or Gentile. And that's exactly what is happening here. See, the law and the prophets and the writings of the New Testament became the Bible as its authors wrote down only what was God-breathed. That's what those Jewish people were up against. That's what those Jewish leaders were up against. The fulfillment of the law and the prophets and the writings as God breathed scripture through the New Testament authors. They were up against it and against that they couldn't stand. See, some people dismiss Jesus and his word. Others attack him or the Bible. It's that way with many people today, isn't it? But let me ask you, where are you on that spectrum? Are you dismissing Jesus and his word? Are you attacking Jesus and the Bible? Where are you? If you're watching church online today, chances are that you love Jesus. Chances are that you're curious about Jesus. That anywhere in the world you're saying, I wanna find out, is the Bible reliable? Is the life of Jesus legitimate? Can my sins be washed away? And to look with integrity at that is going to take courage on your part. But I want you to know, second, if you're taking notes today, God's word is the ultimate weapon. The ultimate weapon. See, Paul understands that the power and the authority are in the Bible. He's not ashamed, uh, he's not ashamed to publicly proclaim his faith in the truth of God's word. I love what he writes in his letters to believers. He writes this in Hebrews chapter Four, verse 12, it says, for the word of God, it's alive and it's active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. And when he writes this picture, you might often think of the Roman broadsword, a 40-inch sword like this sharpened on both sides, and a sword like this would be used in battle. This would be the sword you would have seen in the movie Braveheart. This would have been uh, the sword that you would see in a lot of history. It's a double-edged, ultimate fighting weapon in that era. And you might think of this, and they're describing it in that way in Hebrews. But he goes on and also says, in Ephesians chapter six, Paul writes and says, and when he's talking about spiritual warfare, when you're in a battle, when you're in a battle against the spiritual forces, when you're in a battle spiritually, he says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. In this case, he's using the word machaira. It's not the 40 inch long Roman sword that you would think that's double edged. It's a smaller, about 18 inch sword that is curved, but double edged and used in close combat. He's saying, listen, this word of God is your weapon. When you're in a close battle, when you are in a spiritual battle, when you are facing against anxiety and fear and it seems like you can't get at your foe, 
He's saying courage is found in the word of God that can divide things. It can, it can separate things. The difference between bone and marrow, between joint and flesh, that the word of God is available and it's powerful. It's used for close combat. Well, where does the word of God come from? It comes from the spirit of God. And having the sword of the spirit doesn't mean owning a Bible. Having the sword of the spirit doesn't mean you like smack somebody over the head with your Bible, though some of you may have wanted to over certain times. It means, having the sword of the spirit means having the spirit. That the spirit receiving God's Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus Christ means that you have the one inside you who illuminates the Bible, making it understandable for you that he helps the Bible be meaningful for you, making the Bible, which a lot of people look at as just some old book, that makes the Bible come alive and is intended for you and to be used by you through whatever you are facing. It is the source of courage. Not only that, write this down. Number three, God's word produces conviction. It produces conviction. So how did Governor Felix and his wife respond to Paul's defense? So we have to look at Acts chapter 24, beginning with verse 24. As Paul is making this defense, we find that this happens. It says in verse 24, several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who is Jewish. And he sent for Paul and he listened to him as he spoke about the faith in Christ Jesus. As Paul talked about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid. And he said, that's enough. That's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. And at the same time, he was hoping Paul would offer him a bribe. So he sent for him frequently and talked with them. And when two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. But because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. Well, what happened? What was Felix's response to the word of God? He was afraid and he was convicted. See, the word of God convicted Felix's heart and he became afraid. So what did he do? He stalled to avoid making a decision to believe in Jesus Christ and to receive him as Lord. And this is what many people do at the point of conviction. They hear the word of God. The word of God begins to make sense to them. They hear about good news through Jesus. They hear that their sins can be washed away and they begin to become afraid. They, they stall. They think, I'll just figure this out later. They keep flirting with the truth, but they don't embrace it. They don't surrender to it. They stall like Felix. So there are those who don't believe yet who stall like Felix. But I gotta let you know, believers, that there are many of us who do the same thing. You're reading the scripture and you're convicted when the scripture says to not gossip. But you think, you know what? I got good information. Like, I'll obey that later. And what happens? You stall like Felix. You even do that. You're convicted when the scripture says to give to those in need but you stall and you think, well, I'll get around to giving generously later. What happens? You're, you're acting like Felix. You're convicted when the Bible says to pray for those who persecute you, to bless them, to pray for them, but you stall and you think, well, maybe I'll do that eventually when I finally feel like. 
blessing the people who persecute me. What happens? You become like Felix. You're convicted when the scripture says to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor. But what happens, you stall because you say in our culture, I just barely get to know my neighbors. I think I'll get to that later. What happens? You're convicted by the word of God, but you're acting like Felix. You're afraid, you're stalling. Maybe you're convicted when the scripture tells you to love your neighbor as yourself because if you take a real honest inventory on a normal day, you are regularly unloving to yourself. You wouldn't describe your feelings about yourself to be loving at all. You choose not to believe the value God puts on you, the care, the compassion that God speaks over you and gives to you in his word. So you think, you know what, maybe I'll just figure all that out and I'll love myself later. Well, what happens? You're just stalling. You're like Felix. God's word gives you courage to obey it And let me tell you, it will take courage to obey the word of God. Any person who ever obeys the word of God finds that it's going to require courage and an act of the will on their part. But they're so blessed when they obey the word of God. They're so glad their spirit comes alive. Their soul testifies to the goodness of Jesus Christ as they begin to walk in his steps and in the courage that leads them to make one right decision to another right decision to another right decision and the blessings that come along with that. Well, God's word produces conviction, but you've got to choose to respond to it. We have no indication that Felix, who was convicted by the word of God, ever believed or ever received. And sadly, many, many people do now what Felix did and they'll miss out on heaven. They miss out on spiritual life right now in this life. They find themselves with the wrong party at the resurrection of the dead, having never put their faith and their belief in Jesus Christ and the righteousness offered to them to forgive them of their sin by what he did on the cross. Don't let that be you. Don't let that be you. Instead, come to Jesus. And if that's you today, you're saying, I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. I'm ready to give my life to God. I want to become a new creation. Then you just pray a prayer right like this after me. Just pray something like this right where you are. Just say, Jesus, today, I give you me. I believe you died on the cross for my sin, that you were buried, that you rose to new life because you're God. And I ask you to come into my life and to make me a new creation spiritually on the inside. Would you wash me white as snow, forgiving me of my sin? Because today, Jesus, I give you me. And if you prayed that prayer today, we wanna let you know that there are angels who are rejoicing, that you are a new creation, that your sins have been washed away, that the righteousness that was Jesus's, having fulfilled all the law in the Old Testament, Uh, prophets and regulations is that righteousness is now given to you and all of our guilt and shame was put upon him and he's canceled it out you don't have to fear death you can have joy and you have courage to continue to walk with Jesus both now and in the days ahead Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, 
visit our website at sungrove.org.